Welcome to the Game Plan Podcast with Judah Newby and Brian Perkins, breaking down all things Seahawks. And welcome back to the Game Plan Podcast, 1029thegame.com. Alongside Brian Perkins, I'm Judah Newby. This is the Seahawks return. From the Meadowlands with a 24-7 win over the New York Giants. Looking good. Coming out of the bye week. And now it's back home for consecutive home games with the Texans and Redskins. Is Seattle starting to flex their way into NFC contending status? Recording this on a Tuesday morning. We're on Monday night. The Eagles improved to an NFL best 6-1 with a nice 34-24 win over the aforementioned Redskins. And by the way, the Redskins on Monday Night Football with Kirk Cousins, 0-6 in their uh, in their history on primetime on Monday night. That being said, the Seahawks are now 4-2, and two, a half game behind the division-leading L.A. Rams at 5-2, and two, who swatted the Cardinals over the weekend in London. The Cardinals now without Carson Palmer, probably for the rest of the year with a broken left arm, turning to Drew Stanton. What does that mean for them? Quiet game for Adrian Peterson. And the 49ers, in the meantime, remain winless getting their doors blown off by the Cowboys 40-10 to in San Francisco. It looks like this is the Seahawks and Rams division for the taking, and it's nice for Seattle to already have a road win over L.A. in their back pocket, and of course now coming home after a nice win on the East Coast with a late kickoff over the New York Giants. Perkins, you joined me. We talked a little bit about this win off the air yesterday that the Seahawks were losing in halftime 7 nothing. They were struggling uh, to score despite really moving the football well between the 20s. Not doing it as much with a running game as much as it was the effective passing and timely third down connections between Russell Wilson and Doug Baldwin. But, you know, Jimmy Graham was open on a few key plays and dropped wide open uh, opportunities. One down the sideline, another that was contested but right in his chest in the end zone. And yet we were both coming away from the first half going into the second half thinking this is going to still be a relatively comfortable Seahawk victory if they can just iron out a few things and not commit some so many self-inflicted mistakes because it was pretty clear they were the better team from start to finish over the Giants. It was just a matter of time before they were able to reassert themselves and, uh, and prove it because ultimately that's what panned out in the second half. Yeah, a matter of time, time of possession. In the first half, Seattle dominated that front. Mm-hmm. I felt like they they spent the final 7 minutes of the first quarter in the inside the 10-yard line, uh, you know, trying to find their way in the end zone after a myriad of penalties and other things that kept giving them chances. And obviously Jimmy Graham fails on the uh on the fourth down and goal from inside the 1-yard line. Uh but you know, you're right. And going into the half, it was frustrating because Seattle had played their best first half they had of the season offensively, right? Russell Wilson looked really good. The running game, not so much, but the offensive line was blocking pretty well. Um, you know, guys were getting open. Uh, Russell's throws were on point. Guys were making plays outside of Jimmy Graham, yet they were down. And that was frustrating. But at the same time, you and I both felt the same thing. And that was that they were going to come back and they were going to win this game because of the way the first half had gone. You know, you had the fluke fumble where the helmet hits the ball and pops it right into a defender's arms. I mean, you know, sometimes that stuff happens, right? Yeah, but Thomas Rawls, you know, sometimes it does happen, but it looks even worse. I don't feel like Rawls has his legs under him yet. And we saw on the screen pass, too, where he had another, it was a good gain, a positive gain, but 
he had another 20 or 25 yards to work with if he allows his blocks to set up. A pretty fundamental move by an NFL running back. a screen pass. And he ran right into the defender instead, running right past Ethan Posick. And that was a frustrating play. It was one of the better plays by the Seattle offense, but it was frustrating because you saw so much room to work with. And James Lofton, I thought, made a good point of of pointing that out on the replay. Um, In terms of the Seahawks' backfield, I mean, where's the confidence Who's who's the guy that that as fans we can point to and rely on, or as the coaching staff, could you rely on as being your back? Because Eddie Lacy, um, he didn't look horrible, like, but he he has to get some, he has to get downhill in order to be effective as a runner. Yeah, he's and, and he's been it, forgettable. And with the offensive line issues, like he he is maybe average or below average for a running back. Rawls, unfortunately, is the same right now. McKissick has shown an ability to be effective in the passing game. But in terms of a conventional run offense, now that Chris Carson's unfortunately hurt probably for the rest of the year, CJ Prosize isn't a guy you can rely on in that position either. You know, is, is this something to worry about? Russell has a great game here to mask things in the passing game. But in terms of the Seahawks running game, do they ultimately have to find that guy, that that horse, in order to move forward and contend in the playoffs? Or can this type of offense be sustainable? Through the first six games of the season, who's been their best running back? Oh, it was Carson. See, for me, it's been McKissick through six games, through the six games of the season. And why? Because of what he's done in the passing game. Yeah. and that's I the- mean, of guys that are available, I guess, McKissick. But, the- but then again, remember, his best game came when it was garbage time against the Colts, right? And then he didn't do much against L.A. He did okay, but three catches for 18 yards. Mm-hmm. And then he showed flashes yesterday, too. You know, I, I give him that, and I really like him, but he's a small cat, you know, who knows how. My, my point being, even when Carson was in, the Seattle was not an effective run team at all. And that's the problem, is that we're, they have no run game. They And with Carson out, now you have no one that you can depend on, in my opinion. C.J. Procise played one play yesterday. Did not did not receive contact in that play and left with an ankle injury. I mean, the guy can't stay healthy. It's unfortunate because he's such that a talent. Sucks. But um, I mean, at this point, you cannot rely on him at all. He played one freaking play and got injured. And I'm not. You can't be mad at him for getting injured. It's just sometimes players aren't built for a sport like football. You know, long term, especially in the NFL. And I don't. I think at this point, I, I don't know how you can think otherwise with Procise, regardless of how young his career is. You look at. Thomas Rawls, I had no faith in him. Eddie Lacy, no faith in him. McKissick, great weapon out of the backfield. Hopefully, at some point, he can replace Procise because I don't, I don't, you know, once again, can't rely on Procise being healthy. You don't have a guy right now that you, you have a guy that you feel like has good vision, can make plays, can, can make those quick decisions. I don't. And I don't think that Seattle, if they try to rely on the run and go back to their traditional game plan of 50-50 run pass or whatever, they are going to fail. They they have to go away from that. You have to start getting pass heavy in this offense and get creative like they did against against the Giants because I, I just don't see how you're going to find a lot of success running the football this season if you're Seattle. Long term, I think my faith is greatest in Rawls to right himself, to ultimately find his legs, find his vision, you know, grow more into that number one running back that he's been in the past as the season progresses. I have more faith in that happening than in Eddie Lacy being the number one back or in, you know, JD McKissick being the number one back. You know, McKissick, McKissick's is, not going to be he's, number one. He's back. a third down back at best, you know, right now. And Swiss Army knife type guy that you can 
start in the slot motion into the backfield or start in the backfield motion. He has down great to the hands. Slot. I mean, obviously, you know, he's made some great catch contested uh, throws. Sunday, Russell put one right on him, and he caught it with simultaneous contact by defender, and I was impressed. Yeah, third down. Not a lot of running backs do that. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy with wide receiver history, but. I got to tell you, even with Rawls, I'm, and I'm not trying to give up on the guy, but he's had a couple of brief, really good runs in the NFL, and that's it. We and by runs, I mean consecutive games, not like run, like no, literal I, handoffs. I know. I know. Um, I, there's not enough of a sample there for me to have faith in him. Like that's how I feel at this point, and I'm not trying to be overly negative because the offense played well. But why did they play well? It wasn't because they used the run to set up the pass. I mean. The, you know, this was a team that focused on Russell Wilson early and often in that game, passing the football, and you saw a lot of success there. And I think that you're going to have to. I, I I just think that that's the reality that we that we live in right now as Seahawks fans is you are not going to see a run game like you have in years past. You know, I think this is an overall point about the NFL. Something that I've frankly been noticing is the best way to win with a run game is to get a cheap, young running back with legs. Because once you hit 27 or 28 years old, you're not as good or effective for running back anymore. You know, I look at Lev Bell, who is three of the last four games he's eclipsed 30 carries, and how much the Steelers are trying to use him before his next contract next year. And, you know, I look at how the Seahawks have, have treated their young running backs. I mean, the way to win is with guys right out of college that have all the legs and that are cheap, like Carson in the seventh round. You can find those guys. And you can find talented enough runners late in the draft to help you out. I mean, Kareem Hunt was a fifth rounder, you know, and use them up as much as you can. I mean, it's it's almost it sounds kind of abusive from NFL standards, but if I was a GM, that's how I would construct my running game. Not trying to get a highly priced number one back, but to get a versatile guy that's super young and super cheap that can do the job. Because that's how they found Thomas Rawls. That's how they found Chris Carson. You know, Marshawn Lynch's aren't growing on trees. That's an outlier, especially in today's NFL when you need that running back to be do a little bit of everything. Look in Green Bay. Ty Montgomery's done. I mean, he played he played nine snaps on Sunday with Brett Hundley at quarterback. Who did they go to? The cheap young running back in Aaron Jones. What's Jacksonville doing? The cheap young running back in Leonard Well, not exactly cheap because he's, you know, a top five pick, but Leonard Fournette. You know, rookie, second, third-year running backs, I think that's the way to go in this league especially if you're going to try to rely on them to run the football, which my overall point is it's a real bummer that Chris Carson got hurt because I thought that that, that to me, could have been the recipe for some sustainable offensive success was Carson as the number one back, cheap, young, talented, physical, energized, and then he goes down. Maybe Rawls can refine himself because remember how effective Rawls was when he first got the job moving in that 2015 ran angry, season? He ran hard. And how, Ran yeah, through contact. And we were all thinking this could be like the next Marshawn, you know, and then injuries stay healthy. Yeah. Well, the Baltimore injury, that's a f- crazy fluke. I mean, someone rolls up on his leg, right? And he's been banged up, you know, ever since then. But then you're right, you know, he has the spurts, the wild card game versus Detroit. Yeah. They win by 20. Rawls goes for a buck 60 and two touchdowns. Can they find that again this year? I'm not sure that they can. But ultimately, Sunday, it didn't matter because Wilson was so, so on point. But it does make you wonder, especially with no bye week the rest of the way, where does this team go running the football? Yeah, I I get what you're saying, and I agree with you that, you know, young legs, especially at running back, when all the other positions are are harder, faster, stronger than they've ever been before, 
you can't have like a 30 year old running back anymore. It just doesn't work. Uh, at least that's unless it's someone that's very, very special. Uh, and ultimately, I don't think Adrian Peterson is going to be successful in Arizona. No. Well, I especially don't. not anymore now that yeah. you have what's his name, a quarterback, Stanton, uh, Stanton, Drew Stanton, whatever sideline dance guy. Um, <laughs> that's basically what he's known for. So here's the problem with that, though, is you bring in young, you know, you bring in young, dynamic, fast running backs, but can you rely on them? Can you rely on them to to stay healthy? Can you rely on them to make the right decisions at the next level? Can you rely can you, on them to pass protect? You, because that's it, vital at this level. Exactly. Can you rely on them to make something out of nothing? Like this is the problem with that model is that you are now putting your hopes and your faith into someone that's 21 years old that has played a handful of snaps in the NFL going into the season. And by the end of the year, you know more about them, obviously. But even so... I think that that alone tells us that teams probably shouldn't be focusing as much on the run unless you have a very special running back. I mean, that's that's kind of what that tells me is the run should be a complement to the pass, not the other way around. I mean, if, if that's the model that teams have to go with, like you're looking at Seattle who had Marshawn Lynch, who's like one of the most you know special running backs in the last eight years, you know, until this season. But, you know, he's he's been really, really good. You go from that to guys – you know, to a host of guys, it's been a revolving door in Seattle since he left, and and it's been frustrating. But I think that you have to face the reality that Marshawn Lynch ain't walking through that door. Yeah. And at this point, I think that you have to let the run game complement the pass, not the other way around. And if that is the case, which I don't deny the entire league is moving in that direction, if not there already, your short passing game has to be really good because you still have to move the football in quick, easy yep. increments Yep, because that's what the run game provides. It's be able to control the clock, be able to move three or four, three, four yards, yards with, yep. with ease. Yep, Packers have a great short passing game. Patriots have a great short passing game. Both those teams have running backs that can catch the football. Tariq Cohen in Chicago, able to catch the football. Kareem Hunt in Kansas City, able to make plays in the passing game. You know, So you've got to have that running back that has the ability to do that. I don't think Lacey can do that. Um, you know, Rawls, I'm not sure what it, what he provides passing More than game. Lacey, for sure. But but a guy that can do that, that might be that unknown asset in the passing game that has already shown his capabilities, is you're right, J.D. McKissick. So, you know, maybe we see his snap count increase a little bit more, but maybe he's the type of guy that gets more action in the backfield, not necessarily for the sake of running between the tackles on first and second down, as much as for the sake of picking a second and 15 screen pass, or being able to start in the backfield, split out wide, and work the middle of the field, and he's shown an ability to catch the football, is the toughness there to be able to take some big hits in there. You know, he's relatively slight to build. But maybe second half of the season, he can be the asset in the backfield that the Seahawks need. Well, and it was nice to see in that game, you know, Lockett get utilized a little bit more uh, to his abilities. He had, I mean, he was a couple of overthrows and a cheap shot in the end zone away from having a huge game, like a huge, huge game for Seattle, you know, and I mean, the jet sweeps were, you know, that you talk about the short game, you know, the jet sweeps where he got, I think like maybe five yards one time, six yards another time, you know, nothing outstanding, but like good plays that set you up on second down for like a second and four instead of second and 12. Um, but, you know, so I, it was kind of cool to see that as well, you know, the kind of changing up the red game. You know, with Wilson being healthy now, read option is definitely a way to alleviate some of that as well, where you have, you know, you have your quarterback basically making the decision for the running back as to what the best play is available. And, you know, read option has been something that Seattle's done well in the past. But I just don't think we're going to see the 
And if we do, I'm, it's going to be kind of frustrating, to be honest. Like the power formation, two tight ends, everyone tight on the line of scrimmage, obvious run situations, hand the ball off, two yards in a cloud of dust. Yeah. You know, I just don't. I just don't know if that formula works anymore. And if you have to get creative, bubble screens on the outside. We've seen Seattle do that with Doug Baldwin or with Lockett a little bit to get you know three or four yards or whatever. Um, then that's what you have to do. I just feel like right now, you if you list the playmakers on offense. I mean, when does a running back even come up? You know, I mean, sixth, seventh down the line, fifth maybe. I mean, that's not good. I mean, that to me in football, it's all about your playmakers and getting the ball into the hands of people, of 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 guys that can make plays. And I just don't see anyone right now at running back that gives me, you know, that makes me feel confident in that. Thankfully for the Seahawks, they have a playmaker at the quarterback position. And Sunday for Russell Wilson was the best game that he's had all year. Great fourth quarter, especially. The Seahawks closed this game exceptionally with 14 points, including a couple of uh, dynamic and He's played well in the fourth quarter throws. all year. Mm-hmm. He finished uh, 27 of 39, 334 yards, and three touchdown passes. Was only sacked once in this game. There were times where he was you know, running for his life. There's been those moments every game this season. But Pete Carroll yeah. pointed out accurately, I think, that this was the best game in terms of pass protection for the offensive line. And it's a very good Giants defense. Great yeah. coordinator in Steve Spagnolo, who's in his second stint with the franchise now, but is one of the top coordinators in the league. A defense that went on the road and shut down the Denver Broncos despite being a hapless offense. Giants were double-digit underdogs in that game. Got a big win on Sunday night. Returned home and... Ultimately, the Seahawks played really well offensively, racking up over 400 yards of offense against a pretty good, talented Giants defense. That was good to see. Well, Jita, let me ask you this. Everyone says, because I saw some conflict, like, oh, the Giants defense, like, they're good, but they're not as good as they have been, and blah, blah, you know, a lot of things. But Seattle was playing badly against bad defenses. Like, you know what I mean? And you and I talked about this last week, right? It's about progress. Like, this is your second season of three in the regular season, and... The first season, you know, wasn't exactly pretty when it came to the offense, but you want to see improvement. Isn't that what we saw on Sunday? Didn't you see? It doesn't matter to me even almost, and I agree with you, I think that New York's defense is pretty good, but even if, let's say they're ranked 25th in the league, who cares? Like, Seattle wasn't playing well against those types of defenses. So I think that that, you know, in and of itself is an improvement, that you saw them not only get off to the hot start, but still close out the game as you expect them to do. The defense did that as well, by the way, closed out the game. Um, and you saw them, you know, move with ease, relatively ease down the field pretty much every time they had the ball. So that was, I mean, I honestly don't even care how good the defense is. The fact that they were able to do it at all to me is a success. <laughs> you know what I mean? Landon Collins is a pro bowler. Yeah. Janoris Jenkins is a pro bowler. Dominic Rogers Cromartie is still a good corner. Used to be a pro bowler. They still have Damon Harrison in the middle of the D line and Jason Pierre Paul. Yep. Only one sack. Okay, that, yeah. that's all right. Yeah. And yeah. and now New York was still down John Bostic, their starting middle linebacker, and their backup middle linebacker went down during the game. I'll grant that. But this was encouraging, and I still think it's a, it's a good Giants defense that will manifest itself. It's a hapless offense, so the defense is on the field for a ton of snaps. It makes them look bad because of the, how poor the offense is. And that's complimentary football. But, yeah, this was certainly... The best offensive game for the Seahawks, and it's even more encouraging considering it was their first one out of the bye week. We saw them struggle in L.A. against the Rams defense that I know they shut out the Cardinals. I was not impressed by that. 
and I like Wade Phillips a lot, but the Rams gave up 30-plus to the Niners. They gave up 30 to the Redskins. You know, it's a fine defense, but they're not playing as well as they used to under Greg Williams, and Seattle struggled to put the ball in the end zone and ended up getting the 16 points. So this was by far their best offensive game, I think, start to finish. Indy game aside, eh, maybe even including the Indy game, I was more impressed with this one. I would agree. On the road. I would agree with you on on the Indy game. There was a lot of frustration, if you remember, in the Indy game. I know that they ended up winning very comfortably. They were down at halftime. That first half was very, very frustrating. It was like, what is going on? I mean, seriously, the crowd was booing. I mean, it was it was really bad. This game didn't feel that way. This game was like frustration at Jimmy Graham and Thomas Rawls for the fumble, and that's pretty much it. Like, I, I outside of that, I didn't personally. I didn't feel. I didn't feel like God. Once again, the offense only three points at halftime. I was like. Man, they've had some bad breaks, but they're going to turn it around at half. Like, that's how I felt watching that first half. Uh, and Russell Wilson could have had one of the best, probably the best game of his career if Jimmy Graham could catch a damn football. Yeah. I was... mean, the, the Jimmy Graham touchdown aside, let's just let's just throw that one away. Okay, it's a drop, whatever it happens. The one down the sideline, I don't know if it would have been a touchdown, but they would have been inside like the 10 <laughs> at worst. He was wide open on the edge. And... I mean, we're talking about a huge gain here. So Seattle could very well have, you know, who knows what they would have done. So I don't know about you, but, you know, you look at basically three plays in the first half, the two drops from Graham and the fumble, and that's why Seattle didn't have the numbers that you would expect. Yep. By the way, you know, I know we talk about fade routes a lot and they're polarizing. Fade route to Jimmy Graham or just a simple back shoulder throw is a good play to anybody, to just given size, you know, and, Assumably, given his hands, so I, I don't. I, I'll, I'll never mind that play call. Um, and it was the throw. Maybe could have been a foot or two higher to give him a chance, but it hits him right in the chops. Like, come on, Jimmy, you got to make that play. Yeah, like there's you no make that excuse play. in the world. None of that. None at all. And that's the frustrating thing about Graham is that he has not capitalized on a lot of contested balls this year. Yeah, and it does not give off a good impression about him. Mm-hmm. It makes me think he's soft. Like he can't, he can't win contested balls. Yeah. And a guy of his size and stature, that's the big advantage you have with a guy like that, especially inside the five yard line where Seattle really, really struggles to get in the end zone. Gronk and Kelsey make those plays. Jimmy's getting paid like it. He needs to make those plays as well. What did you think of Posick? Um, you know, I haven't had a chance to look at the film and <laughs> talk like a coach now. I thought he was good. He and Glow traded, obviously, kind of switched out, in and out. I think Posick earned that spot with the way he played. I was looking at, uh, you know, a couple different analysts break down the O-line uh, on social media, and there were a couple times where Posick like, lost leverage right out of the gate, but then was able to get it back hmm. and, you know, create enough of, uh, you know, get, getting in front of his guy enough to give Russell Wilson a chance. Um, you know, some good signs for a guy making his first start in the NFL and for getting his first action in the NFL there were a lot of really good things there. Um, and I thought the O-line overall played better. And Wilson early kind of had that whole, oh, my God, the po- I've had a pocket for like four seconds. There's something wrong here. I'm about to get sacked. You know you know how he kind of early in the season was like looking behind his back and getting skittish? You saw that early in the game, but then he really started to settle down and trust the O-line, and that's when things the, the damn really burst for them offensively. He started to trust them, and they played pretty well outside of three Effetti penalties and Glowinski and all that, but... Um, the injury to Justin Britt is something to keep an eye on. We're not going to practice now, they're saying, until Friday. Until Friday, yeah. So that's tough. 
long-term health is most important, I think, for me. Oh, for, for sure. That being said, their next opponent, Houston, uh, no J.J. Watt, but still a really, really talented defense. You know, Clowney, Merciless is, is uh, out for the year as well, but it's still a good D-line that you got to face. It is. You hope Britt can get help, healthy for it, without a doubt, because Seattle has two at home. If they can win those two, they're in really good position because their their final eight games, four of them, no, five, four of them come against the NFC West. Yeah, let let's talk about their upcoming schedule here in just a moment. But a couple other things. One, the sideline blowout blow up with Baldwin, Tom Cable, Russell Wilson. You know, we we wait twenty minutes into the podcast even to bring it up because, to be honest, I think it's it's not a non-story. It is a story, but I kind of like it. Like I, I like the fire. I like I like when Baldwin mixes it up. And you know, I'm saying this after they won the game by three scores. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. If they would have lost this game, maybe it's a big deal. But it seems sometimes raw emotion is good on the sideline. Ultimately, Baldwin says he felt like it was Russell Wilson's time to talk to the offense and get his message across. And Tom Cable was the one that was talking and trying to get his message across. So Baldwin kind of gets animated, shoves Cable out of the way to try to provide Wilson a platform. And Baldwin goes up on the uh, post-game presser, completely takes accountability for it, says, I was in the wrong. I let my emotions get the best of me. But I don't think he was uh, incorrect. You know, I, I like it when when it's Wilson that has the opportunity to speak to his teammates. I don't know. How do you feel about all that fallout? I'm with you. It's a non-story, really, when it's all said and done. I think the biggest thing is, you know, there's always the, there's been that chatter where there's a slight disconnect between Wilson and teammates or Wilson and Baldwin even a little bit where there's just been like, Baldwin doesn't praise Wilson enough or whatever, this or that, like over the last few years. Well, he certainly came to his quarterback's defense in that situation, didn't he, in-game when it mattered. So I, I think we can probably put that to rest pretty quickly. Uh, secondly, I, I love it. Like, and, and I love how after the game, Pete Carroll basically was like, yeah, I mean, it was something that happened. Everyone's good. Doug Baldwin said, hey, I, I love Coach. I apologize to him. Everyone's good. You know, it's not a big deal. He owned up to it. Everyone pretty much was just like, yeah, it happened. Not the end of the world. We're moving on. Cameras on the sideline can make things seem so dramatic when they're really not. Well, and not only that, but like we live in a world now where like you want the drama, right? And you want you want there to be like instability because it creates good gossip and storylines. It's like the reality TV thing, right? Yeah, totally. It is reality TV. Yeah, doesn't Seattle like thrive off of emotion? Yeah, they they live off of what we perceive to be drama, but it's really not drama. It's just a bunch of guys that are super emotional that fire each other up. Keeps things fresh, edgy, iron sharpening iron. I think it's more that dynamic than it is instability for sure. Um, And then we have gotten this far without heaping praise on the defense. That was just ridiculous. 144 total yards of offense for the New York Giants. Their lone touchdown came on the sudden change. The Rawls fumble two plays later, they were in the end zone. Apart from that, I mean, yes, the Giants are down their top three receivers, Beckham, Marshall, and Shepard, but they still were able to move the ball in Denver the Sunday night prior. Uh, Darkwa had over 120 yards against Denver, ends up with 30-something in this game. Defense flexing on folks right now. And the Rams, you know, averaging about 35 points a game, gets shut down by the Seattle D. Perkins, it seems like they're rounding into form right now. Yeah, no, it really does. It's um, they're they're looking great, and if you compare where they were in 20, 2013 through their first six games compared to where they were now, I think I saw this on Twitter. Um, 
I think it was Dick Fain who had it on Twitter. They're averaging the they're allowing the exact same point per game total, like fifteen and a half points per game on average or something like that. You know, and this is a defense that you and I were talking about, especially after the Sheldon Richardson trade. You know, this was a 2013-esque defense, right? At least that's how it looked on paper. And in the beginning of the year, you know, I mean, they looked good, but they were giving up explosive plays and this and that. But they've really settled down. You know, they look good against, uh, obviously, against uh, St. Louis, against L.A., and uh, it's once week again, eight, it's week yeah. eight, Perk. <laughs> yeah, I know. God, I got to get into it. Come on now. Come on now, Perk. Get your bleep together. Um, but either way, you know, I think that I think that the defense is playing really well right now. And even when Shed, who's going to be coming back from injury here soon, I mean, Coleman's played pretty well. Yeah. Um, out, I, you know, against the Rams, he did not play great. He had some pretty bad misses in that game. He had two. T- he slipped twice on the field. And he had another play that was like dropped by the receiver. And if it wouldn't have been, it would have been a touchdown on him. <laughs> um, but, you know, for the most part, he's been playing really well. So you're you're almost getting an embarrassment of riches when you get him back. Giants went two for 12 on third down. I love it. Including a few third and shorts. That's a winning formula right Including there. a few third and shorts that Cam stood up. I misspoke before. It's 177 yards of offense, not 144 for the Giants. But either way, this was dominance, man. Under 200 yards of offense, you're probably winning that game. And a lot of that came in the final five minutes when the game was completely in hand. Um, Let's wrap up by taking a look at the rest of the Seahawks schedule, especially for this month of November, because here they sit at four and two. They have the Texans at home next week, one o'clock game CBS. The Redskins at home, 1 o'clock Fox. Cardinals on the road for Thursday night following that, which you're standing, given that they don't trade for a quarterback. I'm excited for that. Should we be expecting 3-0 and in this stretch? Two home games in a road Thursday night are against a hapless Cardinals squad? I mean, I, I, I think that's fair, don't you? They're oh. all Texans and Redskins are certainly competitive. They're good teams, and they have good quarterbacks, both of those teams. Mm-hmm. But... I would expect Seattle at home to win both of those games. I don't yep. think either of those teams are better than Seattle. Let's put it that way. I, I agree. I, I would say certainly the Texans aren't the slam dunk that I thought they would be at the beginning of the year because they do look a lot better offensively. And now Dwayne Brown's coming back, uh, which is a big deal. Starting left so tackle. They'll have their left tackle back. But how rusty is he going to be after holding out? I don't know. But, you know, that's obviously something that is not great for Seattle. But that being said, I, I mean, wouldn't you say that that's fair to say win, win, win there? I, I'm expecting it. Yeah. But Texans Texans are something now. They're something. Uh, uh, Monday night against the Falcons, who all of a sudden are struggling to find their offense, putting up seven against the Patriot defense at the 49ers. You know, until you get to December, those are very five winnable games all in a row. Well, and you look at the Atlanta Falcons game, not only is it primetime at home, which, by the way, you know there's going to be some crazy ending now. Um, just because we know Monday Night Football in Seattle never disappoints. Um, you know we've had Batgate, we've had the Fail Mary, Bills Kickergate. Oh yeah, Dan yeah. Carpenter. I forgot about that too. Yep, yep, exactly. So, um, but you know what's the big advantage for Seattle from that perspective? Well, how about the fact that Seattle plays Thursday night that week? You know, you have a team. So Seattle is not only going to get an extra time to prepare, but they're playing a team that. Certainly, it's not what we thought they would be again this year after losing their offensive coordinator to the 49ers. So, you know, you have a team in uh, 
in Atlanta that will be coming off a game against the Cowboys. You know, who knows how tough that game's going to be for them. And a Seattle team that hopefully will be pretty rested after facing a Cardinals team that uh, is missing their two best offensive weapons. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> I think right now my expectation is 4-0 and there. And then you have the Niners, right, you said? 5-0. and I mean, they should be 9-2, and as insane as that sounds. Because that's, that's the one thing. I mean, they we're talking about this as those are five games where they should be favored, games that they should win. You and know? I think if but, you lose more than one of those, you're in trouble. It, sure, sure. You lose more than one, you're in trouble. If you lose one, you're not in trouble. But the December schedule is tough, man. Home to Philly, Sunday night football. That's going to be a good game, God, man. I can't wait. Philly Just looked so good that, last night. They did. They look great. I like it. I, I like it. Are they the best team in the NFC? Right now they, they are. They look like the best team in the NFC. Right that's now for they sure. are. Yeah. Right now they might have the best quarterback in the NFC. And that game could be big. Um, Drew Brees is playing pretty Potential well home field, first round bye, whatever. How Huge big, implications. I mean, we don't know. A lot can change between now and then. But right now, that looks like an awesome matchup. <laughs> it looks so tasty. <laughs> you know, the week after that, at Jacksonville. Not a gimme. They lead the league in sacks. Yeah, not a gimme. Versus the LA Rams. Division on the not line. Not a gimme. Division on the line. At least as it's, you know, the Rams are looking good. They look great on this offense. Isn't, this isn't last year when the or was it two years ago when the Rams started four and two or three and one? They it was last three, year. I last think, year they yeah. started three and one and then lost like seven straight. No, this, this is not your Jeff Fisher. I'm having Rams. fun watching these Rams. Yeah, McVeigh is a genius. Yeah, at the Cowboys Christmas Eve and it looks like they're flexing. And then you close the season home to the Cardinals. Who knows what they'll look like at that point? But you've had you late think, season home losses to Arizona before. I mean, let's say the Arizona game is a win. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's just say it's a win because sure. I don't think Arizona is going to get any better between now and then. Mm-hmm. I mean, who are they going to bring off the street? Like, what quarterback are they going to bring in that's going to make them better? Well, I can think of one guy, but they won't bring him in. Either way, um, who's had some success against Seattle? No, I, 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 no. It's not a century link, though. Anyway, those other four games that you just mentioned, or three games, those aren't, I mean, that's. Those are so tough. They could go one and two there. They could go three and zero. Oh, they could go zero oh and three. I mean, yeah. you don't know. All three of those games are coin tosses, right? Yeah. At at best, I mean, and the Jacksonville game, by the way, they're only ten a.m. start this season. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. not only do, are you playing a, a Jaguars team that all of a sudden is tough and will probably be fighting for playoff spot at that point, but it's a ten a.m. road game and defensive line. It's nasty. Really, really good. So, so I think that if you need to go at worst four and one in your next five. Yeah. At worst. To set yourself up for that tough December. You need a buffer because I, I do think there's a there's probably a potential for two losses in that stretch. Well, eight and three going into December, I think would be nice. You nine know? and two would be better. Nine and two would be better. <laughs> <laughs> That's asking a lot, but it, those are all winnable for They're sure. All, they, they all on paper should favor Seattle. Dwight Freeney visiting the team today. Game breaker, 37-year-old. <laughs> and Byron Maxwell cut by the Dolphins today. Yeah. Well, maybe they're bringing in Freeney because Clark, Frank Clark can't keep his hands off other players' faces. Like, dude, how many illegal hands to the face do you have to have? Is it like, are you going for a consecutive game streak record? Right. And Jeez, they did dude. lose uh, Averill, of course. Well, yeah, that, him being out, but... You know, like Brandon Jackson made a point of that before the game, and he had a couple nice pressures on Sunday. Reed played well, though he went down with injury. Reed forced that fumble on yeah, Eli. He played really well. Mm-hmm. He's been a better pass rusher than I thought he would be. Sure, coming into the NFL. To be honest, uh, I don't know this for a fact, but going into that draft, 
I, I thought the Seahawks were going to take Chris Jones, the big defensive tackle out of Mississippi State. I wanted him. And then the Chiefs got him like three picks before the Seahawks were up. So they went with uh, they went with uh, Jaron Reed instead, which Jaron Reed looked great. And Daniel Jeremiah was like, this is one of the most underrated picks. Like the highlight of him chasing down Deshaun Watson in the title game was big. But Chris Jones is playing on another level for Kansas City. And I can't help but wonder what he would look like in the Seahawks uniform. Yeah. Well, Reed's taking a little bit of time to kind of grow into it, but mm-hmm. he's going to be a good player. For a long so. time in the NFL. I like He's a good him. player. All right, we'll be back again Friday previewing Seahawks-Texans, but the more the season gets into the, the middle parts and into our November, I'm getting more and more excited. So, really, this is it, man. This is We're, we're going now, and this is the time for the Seahawks to make some hay before December gets here. Seattle's won two straight road games. Four of their first six were on the road. They've gotten through that tough stretch. Now they got to make hay while there's hay to be made, baby. And we'll talk about that hay on Friday. He's Brian Perkins. I'm Judah Newby on 1029thegame.com.